They don't look very good left over in the closet. You want to make sure you take them home with you. All right, if you got your Bibles with you this morning, if you picked up an outline, you know where we're going. I want you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians and the 10th chapter. And we're going to read the first 15 verses this morning um, to kind of set the stage. What I want to share with you today is to ask the question, how many of us know what does it look like to be godly? If you were to wander around, would you be able to point out godliness? Would you be able to say, there's a godly person, or that's godly, or, or there's someone that is acting godly? I wonder today, with uh, all of the, the, the mixed messages that we're hearing today, if we really can fully understand what it means to be godly. I hope that by the time I'm done this morning, in the next hour and a half, uh, that you will have a full understanding. I guess you are already sleeping because nobody caught that. All right. For those of you at home, no, I'm not going to preach for an hour and a half, just an hour and 15 minutes, just so you know. All right. All right. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 15. And it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And we're all baptized under, unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. And they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things... We were uh, our example to the intent that we should not lust after the evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as they were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornications of some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of the serpent. Neither murmur ye, for some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for an example, and that they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Therefore let, that, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There has no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with all temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as, as to the wise men, judge ye what I say. Father, I pray that they that are wise among us that would judge what the Word of God says today. That they would look and see how that the Word of God is speaking unto our hearts and through our lives. I pray that you would move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross, that it not be my Word that is spoken, but your Word, O Lord, that is proclaimed, that we might see how that we can live a godly life in an ungodly world. Lord, when the world is speaking so many things, Lord, we pray that we would be attuned to what God is speaking and hear from you and respond, O Lord, in obedience. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. 
I read about a little girl who had a, a spelling test, and, and, and as she was going over her words, one of the words that she had was the word heritage. As the part of her learning exercise, the teacher also asked her to write sentences that would describe the word in detail as to uh, putting it into a proper sentence. Her dad, uh, uh, later in the week, as the, the assignment was getting ready to be turned in, decided he would look over his daughter's work. And as he was reading the sentences, he came across the word for heritage. And this is what his daughter wrote. My mom and dad are Christians, so I am part of a godly heritage. He was so moved with emotions as he read that sentence because somewhere along the line she had come to understand that godliness was a pursuit of her parents. I hope you understand there's no greater compliment that we can give to another Christian than to refer to that person or as a godly person. I don't know if you know it or not, just a few weeks ago I started teaching my Sunday school class again and I decided to to start a lesson on 1 John. And 1 John's all about being a contagious Christian. So I send word out and message out, come join my class. We're going to talk about how to be contagious when being contagious isn't cool today. You see, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> uh, you see, we need to be a contagious Christian, but we need a, a contagious godliness about us. We need to endure the life in which we are living with godliness. The Apostle Peter instructs us to add to endurance with godliness. Godliness is not reserved for a few quaint Christians or that bygone error or some super group of saints today. The privilege and duty of every Christian is to pursue a life of godliness, to study godliness, to practice godliness so that others might see godliness in our life. But what does it mean and what does it look like to be godly? Do you have to live in a monastery to be godly? I mean, you know, we just got, because this world is so crazy wicked. I mean, we just got to all just decide that we're going to sell everything, give everything away. We're going to all move up to a mountain monastery and we're going to hide out and we're going to just kind of be in our own little room and our own little cubicle and, and we won't be influenced by the things of the world. Do we have to do that to live godly? The answer is no. We don't have to be some uh, 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 locked-away monk in order to live a godly life. So let me ask you, can a person be godly and yet be uh, uh, able to watch television? Can a person be godly and yet be a businessman who, who is aggressive and competitive in his business and achieves financial security and success? The answer to that is yes. Paul says at the same time, a person may be talented and involved in godly work and even successful in some aspects of Christian service, but yet still not godly. You see, the reality is that it's not about where we live or what we watch. It's about how we're living and how we're watching it that's important. So I want to take a few moments just to share with you two things about godliness. First of all, what does godliness mean and what does it look like? Godliness is taking God serious. 
The heartbeat of every Christian should be, of every godly person, is to desire to respect and reverence the things of God. This does not mean that the, the, the godly people are always so seriously minded and they're just no fun, they're just a stick in the mud. No, there is a lighter side to life. Even the godly can enjoy the life because God is the creator of life and He has created enjoyment for us to be able to enjoy the things of life. However, there is an account in the Old Testament that is recorded here in 1 Corinthians 10 that I read to you of the people who failed to take God serious. The ancient Hebrews, or the Jews, had escaped the slavery and the punishment of the Egyptian ruler. On their journey home to Israel, to the promised land that God had promised them, they witnessed miracle after miracle from God. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw that, that God struck down the Egyptian army. They saw God bring water out of a rock. They saw God bring manna from the sky. They saw God perform one miracle after another. You would think that after seeing the, the, the pillar of cloud, or the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, you would think by the, the fact that they saw God deliver them through the Red Sea and God's leader Moses out in front of them, providing for them everything that they need from their daily food to their daily water. They were, seemed to be surrounded by unparalleled privileges. It seemed as though that God was with them every step of the way. You would think that this type of person that, that knows that God is walking with them and talking to them and leading them would be the perfect identity of what a godly person looks like. God's presence was so constant. His working was so evident that they had been given such a godly heritage. In fact, one would think that these would be the epitome of godliness. But I challenge you, look at verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, but with many of them, he's talking about these Hebrews, these Jews that were walking in the wilderness, with many of them God was not well pleased. For he overthrew them in the wilderness. Oh, you know the story, do you not? That they had to walk 40 years in the wilderness because of their rebellion and disobedience to God. Until that older generation would all die off so the new generation could walk into the promised land. You would think after seeing all of this, they would say, God, we'll go wherever you go. We know that you're going ahead of us. We know that you're going behind us. God, we know that you're over us. We'll go wherever you want us to go. But yet, when given a choice, they said, no, we don't want to go there. No, we don't want to do that. No, we don't want to go there. No, that's too dangerous. We can't trust God. Now, that's, that's beyond us. So what happened to the potential of these saints? What caused their demise? Paul again summarizes, again, look down a couple more verses, if you would, look at uh, the tragedy and demise of these people found in verse 7. And he tells us, neither be idolaters, or, or as some of them, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and then drink and then rose up to play. Well, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a frat party to me. Supernatural had become so commonplace, God talked, abounded. 
but they lacked a reverence and an awe for God. They became so casual and so uh, casual to His divine that they didn't see His supernatural presence to be anything special anymore. They became nonchalant in their values. They're nonchalant in in their respect for God and His Word. They forgot that God had given them a godly heritage. Apathy ran rampant in their life. They simply didn't mean business with God anymore. The relationship with Him became just everyday life. Let me just stop right there, church. If that doesn't begin to speak to some hearts... I don't know that I even need to preach the rest of the message because if God's not already telling us this is where we are in America today, the church is, and we're taking God so lightly, He's shown up and He's shown off and He's told us what He can do and what He will do for us, and yet we sit back and say, I just don't know. I'm not sure that I can trust. I'm not sure that I can walk by faith. I'm not sure that I can, can, can believe. Never in the history of the world has one country been so blessed as we as Americans have been blessed in the 240-some years of our existence. There is no nation in the world that has more access to God and His Word than America alone. And yet, we could care less. Yet, we read what it says and we say, but that don't apply to me. I told my Sunday school class this morning that we cannot examine our own hearts because our own hearts are so wicked that we lie to ourselves. I'm telling you, folks, we need to look at where America is today and we need to look at where the American church is today and we need to take responsibility for the fact that we have not been living the way that God has called us to live and no wonder the world is not flocking to come in for a sanctuary because they look at the church and see no different inside the building as they do outside the building. It's time that we as a church recognize that we have been given a godly heritage and we need to be living it. And we need to be walking in it. Yes, there are some television shows and and things that we shouldn't be watching and listening to. But there are a lot of television shows that we could get a lot from. and there are, We have got more Christian radio stations and more Christian billboards and more Christian schools than any other nation in the world. And yet, more and more Americans are biblically illiterate than ever before. The Southern Baptist Church, which you and I are a part of, if you didn't know, once in the 80s was known as the most biblically literate denomination in the world, is now among one of the most biblically illiterate denominations in the world. We have left somewhere along the line, we have left God's Word behind and started living principles that we think are right. 
Instead of comparing God's Word to our lives, we're comparing our lives to God's Word and saying, well, I just don't match up. It's time that we realize how serious God takes the heritage in which He has placed within us. And you would think that God's children and, 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 and that, that were taken out of captivity and shown all the wonderful things and got present what's upon them would have been the epitome. But then again, you would think the American church would be the epitome of godliness with all of the blessings that we have received. And yet, I believe that God's Word says there, in verse 5, that there are many in which God is not well pleased. Churches should be overwhelmed with godly men and women. But I ask the question, are they? All too often we walk down the same paths of carnality as the ancient Hebrews. We make light of what we should honor. We honor which we should abhor. We wink at that which we should weep about. We play with what we should take serious. So ask yourself the question, are you taking God serious this morning? Are you serious about meeting with Him? Are you serious about what His Word says to you this morning? If you do, then you are well on your way to living in godliness. So let's look at the second thing. We've got to understand what godliness means, what it looks like. But we've got to ask the question, how does one know if they are godly. How do you know if you are taking God serious or not? How do you know if you're radiating the glow of godliness in a world that is wicked and perverse? Well, let me just say, people who take God serious exhibit certain traits. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just think about as I share them with you, is these, are these traits that are evident in your life? Or traits that maybe once were there but are not there? Or traits that maybe have never been there that you need to get there? The first one is, do you have a thirst for God? Is there a desire, a a thirst for the things of God? If you want to be godly, we must long for God. David was such a man. He vividly expressed his longing throughout Scripture. We sang that song this morning, as the deer panteth before the the water. In Psalms 42, verses 1 and 2, it says, As deers long for streams of water, so long for you, O God, I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before you, O God? What could be more intense than a hunted deer after running for his life, thirsting for water? The psalmist wanted us to see the face of God by entering into the fellowship and the presence of God. And I talked to my Sunday school class this morning and said, we cannot be in fellowship with God if we're walking in darkness, which reference there is sin. If we're walking in sin, if sin is prevalent in our life, if we're doing things that we know are sin and we're not doing anything to get them out of our life, we're not in fellowship with God. 
And the psalmist said, I can't but desire but to be in the fellowship of the Lord in the presence of God. Intensity for God should be the heartbeat of every godly person. Columnist Herb Canaan wrote in the San Francisco Chronicle one time, Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest of lions, or it will be killed. Every morning a lion wakes up. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle, or it will starve to death. Canaan then summarized, and he said this, It doesn't matter whether you're the lion or the gazelle. When the sun comes up in the morning, we need to start running. Charles Spurgeon agreed many, many years before. The preacher from a century ago said this, If you are not seeking the Lord, the devil is seeking you. If you're not seeking the Lord, judgment is fast upon your heels. In the pursuit of godliness, it's not simply enough just to wake up and get up in the morning. We are called to run to become like Christ, to press ahead unto godliness. The Apostle Paul said, not that I've obtained already, but that I am pressing on, I'm striving for, I run for it every day. Godliness never comes to those sitting passively by doing nothing or by simply waiting for it to drop into your lap. Godliness requires hard work, enduring perseverance, and continued effort. In a manner of speaking, you and I must run for it with everything that we've got. The godly person is content with their relationship in Christ, but never satisfied with the present position they are in Christ. The moment that we stop growing, we start dying. We've heard that all of our lives. The moment we stop moving forward, we're moving backwards. As Christians, if we're not getting up in the morning and running after the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're falling away from Him. has to be a yearning for more than what we have right now. Every morning we should say, Lord, can I get a little closer to you today than I was yesterday? So ask the question, are you pursuing God? Or are you pursuing the things of the world? The second thing that we need to do is focus on God. We need to focus on God because that is important. The pursuer of godliness focuses his attention on God in all things, not just some areas of life. Too many of us as Christians say, well, I'm going to focus on this part of my life and work on getting this part right, while everything else around us is falling apart. The problem is that we we get so narrow-minded that we miss that God wants us to focus on Him so that He can take care of every aspect of our life. The trouble and tragedy of the modern man is that we tend to divert our focus away from God. It's quite possible to become an idolater today. 
And you say, well, no, we don't, we don't have idols. I, I don't have any of them little wooden Buddhas or, 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 you know, statues of stone or any of that. Listen, we don't need any of that to, to have an idol in our life. The very definition itself is that anything that takes the place of God is an idol in your life. Anything that you put your focus on above and beyond the Lord Jesus Christ and the godliness that we're seeking after in Him is an idol to us. Idolatry must have been a great problem in Paul's day, which we know that it was, because in his letter to Timothy, the subject of godliness is discussed in two references and two distinctive uh, distractions were, were, were named that they were pursuing after. Both have focused on self and not on God. The first was bodily exercise. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I, I, I want to read that. It says, But refuse profane and old wise fa fables, and exercise yourself rather unto godliness. Now listen, for bod God, bodily exercise profited a little. Listen, I'm not telling you to go home and be a couch potato. It's important for us to get some physical exercise. But if you think physical exercise is going to help you to live the spiritual life, if I just get some strong muscles, I'll be able to take on the devil. Listen, I don't care how big you are. If you're not walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, if your spiritual life is not where it needs to be, the devil's going to kick your tail every way to Sunday. And he goes on, Godly or bodily exercise is profitable for a little but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is, that and that which is to come. Now the second reference that he talked to was not only that we put so much attention on ourselves, <laughs> I got to look good, you know, <laughs> but on our money. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says, the other problem that seems to take the attention off of godliness is money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want to read verse 6 and then skip down to verses 10 and 11. And he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Meaning that's where the value is. That's where it's worth something. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they erred from the faith and, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Paul correctly addressed the problem that most 21st century Christians are facing today. The age of physical fitness. The age of monetary gain so that we just get everything that we can out of this world because after all, we only live once. I don't know about you, but I'm planning on living twice. I mean, if you're just living once, you better get everything you can out of this life. But I'm planning on living twice, so I don't care what the world offers. I know that my life to come is much greater than the life I've got here. I'd rather live for the riches there than hang on to the riches here. What good does it gain a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his very soul? True. True. Nothing is sinful in these pursuits, it seems, until they come between God and us. 
A man who had spent all of his time making and hoarding money found himself in the most disturbed and unhappy state. So he went to the minister to see what he could do about his, his difficult state that he was in. He said, sir, can you give me some counsel on my problem? The minister who knew the man rather well picked up his Bible and he pointed to God's word and asked, can you see that? Certainly, replied the man with annoyance. All right, says the minister. As he picked up a bill, placed it over it and said, can you see it now? He didn't have to say another word. The man knew what the preacher was saying. That his pursuit for wealth had taken his attention away from his pursuit of godliness. I think today in our modern day world, we're taught very young in life, you got to get out there and you got to work hard and you got to make a lot of money so that you can live well and enjoy the life in which you have because life is fleeting. I think that we need to understand that the idols in our life are the things that we put between us and God. And they don't need to be money. They can be a person. They can be a family member. They can be a hobby. I remember years ago, my dad was just a young believer. He had been an alcoholic all of his life and always put things before others. And our minister was visiting one day and my dad loved his guns and he loved hunting. The minister was just asking him a question and said, Jerry, he said, if God were to ask you today to get rid of all your guns and quit hunting and, and, and to show that you're, you, you love him and serve him, would you do it? And he looked at him and said, no. I think a lot of us are there. God's asking us to get rid of some things. Instead of saying, yes, Lord, we're saying, no, Lord. Whatever comes between us and God has become an idol in our life. And it needs to be removed. Jerry Bridges noted that godliness is an exercise or a discipline that focuses upon God. What are you focusing on? Have you allowed the cares and the worries of this world to blur your vision of who God is and what He can do for you? What activities are you performing that take your focus off of God? And what activities can you perform that will put your focus back on God? The third thing that I want you to see is that we need to worship God. I did a little monologue earlier about worship and the importance of it so that we might kind of understand. 
where worship comes from. Worship enables us to properly acknowledge who God is and what He's done for us. We see Him as He is in His majestic and sovereignness. And we should see ourselves as the finite, sinful people that we are, helpless and hopeless without Him. The godly person removes himself from the center of his world and he places God upon the throne of his life. Too many of us have said, God, I'll let you in, but I'm not advocating my throne. I want you as Savior, but I don't want you as Lord. God, I want all that you got, but I'm not giving you anything that I've got. And you've heard me say this for the last 20 years. If God ain't Lord of your life, of all your life, He ain't Lord at all in your life. He don't just take a little bit. He says either I am the Lord of your life, or I'm just something that you play with, and I'm not Lord at all. The godly person removes himself to place God where he belongs. The reverence of God will cause us to worship God rightly. Far too often we take God too lightly. We forget who He is and what He's done to put us where we are. We approach Him in a trite and and casual way. We think of God as our buddy or our pal. There's nothing that furiates me more when I hear people say, I'm just going to talk to the guy upstairs. I'm going to talk to my buddy. They don't understand who God is. We should never speak to him like that. We should never lower him to that low of an idea of who God is. Yeah, he's our heavenly father. He's our friend. He's our brother, but he's never our buddy. He's God. The eternal God of the universe who has a claim in our lives because he is the only one who can place eternity in our lives. We are to approach him with respect and reverence. Reverence of God will also relegate our conduct. John Murray says, What or whom we worship determines our behavior. If a person worships basketball, their conduct and behavior is consumed by the sport. If a person worships money, they are driven to accumulate as much as possible and crush as many as they can. If a person worships God, they seek to know Him and live obedient to His principles. So who or what are you worshiping today? The last one that I want you to see is that we need to serve other people. Now, this one seems kind of out of focus because we've now taken our attention off of God and onto other people. I'll remind you of what I said to my Sunday school class again this morning. There are two 
post to the cross. There's the vertical post. That's our relationship with God. And when we get that right, then we can take care of the horizontal relationship. You see, God says that once you get right with me, then I'm going to show you what you need to do to get along with your fellow man. The problem is that we're living in a divisive world today and, 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 our, and Satan is doing everything he can to not only turn the world on itself, but to turn Christians on themselves. If there were ever a time that we need to be unified in the body of Christ, you're exactly right, Josh. It is today. We need to understand the attack that is coming from without and from within. And we need to understand that we need to be one in Christ. We need to be in this word so that we are one-minded with Christ. We need to be unified in the body of Christ. We need to love one another. Godly people don't just bicker and complain about what's happening to them. Instead, they find the joy of serving others. Let me just remind you, the quickest way for you and I not to dwell on our personal misfortunes or our, our difficulties or, or, or our struggles in life is to find someone less fortunate you than serve them. Serve them. When you can reach out into the heart and life of somebody else and make their day better, I don't care what you're going through, it just makes you better. Over the years, I've had many people say to me, Preacher, you just don't understand how bad my life is. I said, come with me this week. Follow me around to the people that I'm going to see, and I can guarantee you by the end of the week, you're going to find out your life ain't as bad as you think it is. You know, isn't it amazing? People call me when they're at their worst. Every now and again, I get called to come to a birth, and I get to enjoy that. These days, however, when they don't let you in the hospital, it's even getting harder. But most of the time, people call me when they're at their worst. So if you're ever feeling down about how your life is, come, just let me know what day you can come with me, and I'll take you around and let you see folks that are going through much, much worse. You see... When we can lift up the heart of somebody else by serving them, it lifts up our heart. The godly individual not only gives God his due, but he also serves his fellow man and gives him his due. Someone has well said, some people are so heavenly minded they are no earthly good. Now, that can be true. We can become so heavenly minded that we don't know how to deal with people here on earth. But listen, let me also remind you that if you're not at least a little heavenly minded, you will be absolutely no earthly good. If we're not seeking the face of God, we will not want to help our neighbor. We'll say, you got yourself into this mess, get yourself out. That's what the world is saying. You created your problems, you figure it out. But God said, you created your problem, I've come here to rescue you out. And if we're God's children, we ought to have the same heart and attitude of God. When we see somebody in trouble, James says that when we see our brother in, uh, in sin, we ought to go to them and help them get out of their sin. The best evidence of godliness is not the monk 
who lives in a monastery secluded from every other person. It is a person who lives a godly life in the midst of crying children, busy schedules, foul-mouthed workers, and rain-soaked days serving others in need. Who are you serving? You or others? Let me conclude by asking you a few more questions to think upon this morning as the folks will come forward and get ready for music. The invitation, please. Do you mean business with God this morning or are you just simply here playing church? I'm afraid too many Christians come on Sunday mornings, they're really not wanting God to change them. All they're simply saying is, God, just get me through the sermon so that I can get out of there. I wonder, are you meaning business with God or are you playing church? Is your religion of the heart or is it a superficial skin deep thing that you can take it or leave it? Do you know how to speak the, the, the Christian lingo but fail to live the life of godliness? Let me leave you with a story. A man returned to his hometown after being gone many, many years. As he looked around at familiar faces and familiar places, he noticed that the old church where he had once worshipped no longer existed. He asked the man who was running the local service station since he was a child, whatever happened to the old church and the glory it once had? The man at the gas station said, are you going to be around today? Are you going to drive through town much? Oh yeah, I'm hanging around today. He said, here's what I'd ask you to do. If you'll drive up the hill where the old church used to stand, you'll see a sign. Read it carefully for it'll tell you what happened to the old church and the glory that once had. Later in the evening as the man remembered what the old guy had said driving up the hill, it was starting to get dark and he had his lights on so he had to slow down to catch the message that was written on the sign. As his headlights glared on it, the motorist read these words, Drive carefully, children at play. Let that sink in just for a moment. Church, are you here to play church? Because if you are, one day the church won't be here to play in. The life of godliness does not come easy to any of us. All the courage, the discipline, and the persistence that you and I can muster up will be needed to taking God serious. Godliness is not an easy life, but it is a distinguishable life. When you see it, you'll know it. Other people will take notice of it when it shows up in your life. When a godly person takes on the stamp that reflects the very stamp of God, people will start taking notice and they will start seeking out the church 
that is producing godly men and women. For they themselves are looking for a little hope in a hopeless world. I hope that you want to be godly. For God wants you to be godly. He wants you to make a difference. And He wants to make a difference in you. Father, we pray that as every head bowed and every eye closed, that, Father, that we would realize that, God, we can't just continue to play church. But we must be serious about it. We must thirst after you. and Lord, we must seek after you. And we must follow after you. And so, Father, if there are those here today that need you, they need to come to the altar and get right with you, then, Lord, would you bring them as the, as the folks sing. Would you just minister your grace to them? Draw them closer to thee, I pray. In Jesus' name.